Good evening. We are wrapping up our six-week um, series that we've been doing on, um, it's called More Than Just a Book. And what we've been doing is going through the Bible, looking at the overview of the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, how to study it, how to interpret it, how to put it in con- Excuse me, in cultural context, understand the different styles of writing, the organization of the Bible. And I hope you have in your hands um, two handouts. One of them is, is a reprint of something we did, uh, I think it was three weeks ago, when we started the, the two, two um, lessons on the Old Testament. And it is the eras, the books, and the chronology of the Old Testament. And we've also included tonight a second page, and that is the eras, books, and chronology of the New Testament. And you'll see um, a little different formatting of some of the, the charts I was using last week as I talked about an overview of the New Testament. We'd like you to hang on to those, and, and if you know anyone else that needs those, those, those would be available in the church office. Um, if you want to get a hold of Tara, contact our department. We can certainly get more for people. But hope those can help you kind of keep track of the things we've talked about in the last few weeks. Tonight, Pastor Mark is going to continue with the New Testament and talk about um, some different things, contextual things about the New Testament and how to study it and how to get things out of it. And so let's welcome Pastor Mark. Sunday morning, uh, we started a new series, Built to Last. And uh, I would encourage you, if you missed Sunday, to, uh, to get online and listen to the message as we take the next eight weeks and really examine what Jesus taught us and what he said about the life and the heart of a person who is built to last in every storm and for their life to really be developed in him. And uh, one of the things we challenged everyone to do Sunday was to take time and to read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12 every day with just a simple prayer of saying, Lord, help this to get embedded in my heart, help it to become not just the knowledge of it embedded in my mind, but let my heart begin to grow in these attributes and my, uh, my understanding of who you are and, and who we are. And so I, I hope you'll take, uh, take time to do that. Uh, the purpose of the message tonight is just, uh, again, to help us get the solid uh, biblical view of the New Testament so that you can become a self-feeder in a healthy way. Uh, There's steps that we need, there's things we need to understand or we can get really sidetracked if we're we're not aware of certain things inside of Scripture. And so we want to help you do that. That's what we've been doing over these last several weeks and I really appreciate the handouts. I think if you'll keep those close at hand and look at them as you're going through the Old Testament and the New Testament, it'll help you understand things that are going on there and give you insight uh, into the books. The first thing I would tell you tonight about the New Testament, you know, the New Testament is short enough that if you read three to four chapters a day, you will get through the New Testament three to four times a year. And so the first thing I would tell you to do is begin that. Just familiarize yourself with the New Testament. And reading three or four chapters doesn't take long. You just need to get comfortable with, uh, with some of the general facts of the Old Testament. And that's what Dan did such a great job of laying out last week. 
And if you go capture his notes and look at some of these things, you'll begin to, to just get some of, the, uh, some of the facts, some of the ideas, and it'll begin to help make sense as you read through. You'll know what you're reading. You know, you'll know what's going on uh, as you uh, look through those things. So the second part of it is just read the New Testament. Now, here's what I've done over the years. When I was young and was just began to really read the New Testament, uh, I, don't, I, I took all the books of the, of the New Testament, I wrote all of them down. I actually did this with the whole Bible, but I did this specifically with the New Testament because I wanted to get through it. I wrote all of them down on a piece of paper, and, and, and back in the day, I taped it to the front of my Bible. And, and I, I wanted a piece of paper, and not on the outside, but on, just on the inside flap. I taped it there. And that way I could, every time I read through a book, I would write down the date I finished it. And that way I would know, okay, I read Matthew on such and such a date. I read through Matthew in a couple of, in a couple of weeks. I did it on such and such a day. And I would then be able to jump through, and I was making sure I was just reading. I wanted to read through it all. I wanted to just get familiar with what it said. And then I would get to points where you take a book like Galatians or a book like James and just read it uh, four or five times. Read it every day for a week. Just read it every day for a week. Uh, just, just get familiar with it. Just become acquainted with what's being said in it. Let verses begin to come alive inside of you. In it. So this, this part of, there's a part of this of just Getting, getting through it. And, and I didn't worry too much in those times about passages I didn't fully understand. I didn't get bogged down in those. When I would read through Revelation, I would just read through Revelation. And I'd say, I don't, I don't, I don't get that. I'd just read through it. And I, I just wanted to familiarize myself with it and, and, get, and get to know it. And I would encourage you, if you haven't done that, just begin a process of familiarizing yourself with the New Testament. In the process of that, you want to identify key passages. There, there are just some key passages that, you know, it's, it's just nice to know. You, you, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And you just, you just want to know that. You just go, oh, I can go to, I can, this is the great treaty of Jesus on what the, New Te- on what the, the kingdom of God is supposed to be like. I, I can go there. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. I, I, I know that. I know where, you know, Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, talking so much about faith. And just familiarize yourself with some of those things as you read your, as you read your way through it. Begin to understand the purpose of each book. Now, this is what we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about getting a good study Bible. If you get a good study Bible at the beginning, you can talk to Ryan or to Dan or myself if you, if you don't know where to get one or how to get one. A good study Bible will give you some insight into why that book was written, the purpose of that book, key passages in that book, and will help you as you read through that book to understand why it's being written. And I would tell you, when, when you think about the New Testament, uh, to take one book out and just say, this is going to be my favorite book, I'm going to read this over and over again, it, you're going to be unbalanced. Books were written for a reason. And so you want to bring the balance of all of the New Testament into your life 
because some were written for one purpose and some for another purpose. And when you begin to understand that and you comprehend why, who was James writing to? He was writing to Jewish people scattered out around that, you know, to give them some direction and insight as they transition from being these people of Jewish tradition and Old Testament tradition into being faith people and what they were supposed to be. You know, why did Paul write to the Ephesians? Why did he write to the Corinthians? Why, was he, why did he do these things? And as you begin to study that and understand it, it helps you understand what it's saying to you and helps you get a, a better balance uh, of Scripture. And, and you'll hear me say this several times throughout, throughout all of this. The context of, of everything, you, you can pull a scripture out of the Bible for almost anything and speculate some idea about it. But you've got to look at the entirety of the Bible and what the Bible is saying to get a right idea about what's going on. We've got to look at the whole Bible. So once you've kind of familiarized yourself with, now you're in a place where you can really uh, begin to dig in. So let me walk through a couple of things. First of all, the Gospels. What are the Gospels? Who can tell me what the Gospels are? Say them, who can say them out loud? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? The beginning of the, of the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Gospels mean good news, and it's, it's really, it's covering the life of Jesus. Now, as you read that, understand it's not giving a chronological outlay of what happened every day in Jesus' life. There's some chronological things going on in there, and there's some topical things going on in there. So when you read the different books, things may end up in different places according to what the, the author was writing about and what the intent of what he was trying to say. But it's all about the life of Jesus. And I think Dan said it uh, last week that when you think about that, I, I, I think Dan said 50 days. I've heard it from 50 to 80 days, all that's covered. So of the, 300 and, of the three years that Jesus was actually in ministry, and even if you look from his whole life, it covers about 80 days, 80 to 50 to 80 days. So there's, that's why John writes, as I think Dan said last week again, that's why John writes, hey, there's so much more we could tell you, but it's, you know, it'd fill up volumes of things that happen. So, the writers of the Gospels are writing to different audiences for a purpose. Uh, you know, Mark's written to this Roman audience. Matthew is being written to a Jewish audience. If you begin to understand the audiences that they are writing to, and it helps us understand why they have the emphasis in them that they have. But they're all about telling the story of Jesus, and they all want to show him to be the Son of God and to reveal his message to the world. So if I want to really know what, you know, this, what Jesus was, I, I, I've got to read the Gospels. They're trying to reveal Jesus to us. And it helps if you read and begin to look, look for the stories. And in a good study Bible, you will find this. You will find in a good study Bible, the parallel, very easily you'll find the parallel passages in other scriptures. So if it tells a story in Matthew and the same story is told in Luke, 
it'll tell you that they're both that they're, where it's told at. And to go read that other story, what it does is it is it adds it's, it's like a color commentary. It's it's filling in the gaps of the story, and you're learning things that happened. And all of a sudden, there's an insight. Have you ever heard a story? Uh, I remember when I was younger, I would, I would hear a story about something, and it would say something, some real specific point in it. Uh, you know, like this guy did such and such a thing. And, and then later I'd want to look that up, and I'd go look it up, and I'd, I'd find the story, and it didn't, it wasn't in there at all. I couldn't find it. And I didn't understand why I couldn't find it. I mean, I, I remember we read that in church, and I remember the guy talking about that. Why can't I? Well, it's because it's one of the, it's, it was in one of the parallel passages. I didn't remember the passage. I, I just looked up the story in the back of the concordance, went and looked at it. The rest of the story was someplace else. It kind of fills it all in for us. And so reading that helps you kind of get that and understand that as you read the story. Now, real quickly, I want to touch on uh, just the literary forms that we find in the Gospels. And this is, this is part of this, that if you read through the Gospels, if you will keep this kind of note next to you, if you get to passages that are tough, it'll help you understand what's going on here. So, uh, one of the things that Jesus did is he used really exaggerated points at times, hyperbole at times, that he never meant for us to do, but he was drawing a point down to us for us to understand. So, when Jesus says, listen, if your eye is causing you to sin, pluck it out. He didn't literally mean for anybody to go pluck out their eye. He was showing us the seriousness of sin in our life and how serious we need to be about getting it out of our life. There was no intention of us to go out and do that. He was bringing it to the startling stark point that we should stop and look at and go, wow, look how serious Jesus says this is. This is a serious, this is a big, big deal if there's something in my life that's causing me to sin, whether that's a relationship, a friendship, maybe even my love for a child, and I'm excusing their sin away, whatever it might be, I've got to sit and say, that part of me, that part of me, I've got to get that out of me. I've got to love Jesus more than anything. And I've got to get those things so they're in the right place in my life. Are you, are you with me tonight? So as you read through the Bible, you'll, you'll get that and you'll understand it. You can't make this literal, this a literal translation when you find those things. You're looking for the meaning in the story. So when Jesus says, let's for a rich man to get into heaven, I remember when I was in seventh grade, uh, a young man in my class, my next door neighbor died. And uh, he died in the summer between my seventh grade and eighth grade year. And uh, he's good, he was a friend of mine. And I'm sitting in, in the gym class and, and one day, and the boys are all talking about our friend who died. And uh, one of the guys said, well, he's in hell. I was like, what? What? How do, how do you know? What, 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 what makes you think he's in hell? Well, he's in hell because he, he was rich. You know, and rich people, but it's, it's hard for them to get into heaven. It's really hard for, 
Well, guess what? It's hard for all of us to get into heaven. You know how hard it was? Jesus died on the cross for it so we could get into heaven. What Jesus pointing out there is that the rich man can get self-satisfied in his riches. And it can be hard for him to not love riches more than he loves God. And I said, oh man, boy, rich people ought to watch out. Well, guess what, folks? In the course of history and, and demographics around the world, every one of us in this room are rich people. Every one of us. You know, I was, I was reading just this week about one country where the average, uh, the average pay is 50 cents a day. We're, we're, we're filthy rich compared to them. And so we need to be careful about our love for stuff and things and all these things that keep, could keep us from God. It's just an wake-up call. Okay, so now the next thing is a, a, a metaphor, a, a simile, uh, like you're the salt of the earth. And, and, and he's, inside of that, he's showing us something. They understood how they used salt at that time. So you've got to understand a little bit about the time how they would, they would use it to stop decay and to keep the meat fresh so they could use it so it wouldn't rot. And they, they'd say, you know, we're supposed to be the salt of the earth. Our influence, our influence in our society is supposed to hold back sin. Boy, I'm glad I turned my phone off. <laughs> That's just a reminder. When you come into church, turn your phone off. And that's probably a salesman right there. So there you go. Uh, so you get to those similes and you begin to, you have to look and say, okay, what did that mean in that time? What did it mean to, to, to them in that hour when he said, you're the salt of the earth? What does that mean? So I, 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 if I want to dig out the meaning of what he's saying, and again, a good study Bible is going to help you capture that and know that without you, know, you, can, you can find out a lot of things online now. You've got to be careful with them. But uh, this, is, this, is, this is a call for us not to sit on the shelf and be quiet, but to be involved in the world that we're in. Uh, the other part is he uses narrative and irony. irony. These are stark comparisons, unexpected twists. So you see something like the story of Mary and, and Martha. And, and should Mary, you know, Martha's all upset because Mary's not, uh, not working and not doing the things she supposed to, that, that Martha thought she was supposed to be doing. And especially in this day and this age, that's where she's supposed to be at. She's supposed to be doing that thing. And you get this directive as Martha says, will you tell her to get up and get to work? And Jesus says, no, she wants a higher thing, and I'm not going to take that from her. Now, is that story to say we're not supposed to work? No, it's supposed to say we want, we want the higher thing. It's not about not working. It's about us bringing balance into our life and making sure we're getting the higher thing in our life as well. So you've got to, you've got to look at, at what, it, what the lesson is inside of it because there's balance in it. He, 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 he does these rhetorical questions. Uh, if you love those who love you, what reward are you going to get? Everybody loves people who love them. It's when you love the people that hate you that the reward's going to come. So he gives this question that 
he asks us for us to consider inside of our life and for us to think about. And so you, as you recognize it, you, you, you know it becomes pretty clear to us. And then, of course, he uses parables. And parables are stories usually with two levels of meaning. You've got just the story itself and what's going on in the story itself. And then you've got the story and how it relates us to God and how we get connected there. We talked about one Sunday, the story of the prodigal son. And you've got the natural story of the son who rebelled and the loss that's in his life naturally from his rebellion. But you also get a picture of who God the Father is to us and how we should see God the Father. And you begin to get a a picture that says you look through those parables, we're searching and looking for both of the meanings and what it's saying to us as we go through the Gospels. Now, I would tell you, don't let that get you bogged down too much. But when you're you're looking for meaning and really trying to dig deep in meaning, you need to understand the literary form that's being used in that moment, kind of comprehend that. And and so I would tell you, if if you sit down and you try to line those things up and read, looking at them, you're going to get bogged down. But when you get to a place where you say, which one is this? Just dig out this list, kind of look through it, kind of look at the story. You'll figure it out pretty easy. And then begin to look for the meaning of what's inside of it. Uh, for you as you go through the Gospels. Now, you come to Acts, and uh, a lot of writers, a lot of theologians believe that Acts is, we, we, we know it to be a sequel to Luke. Some actually think that it was one book at one point in time, and it got separated in, during the, the, the years of the early church. I, I guess that really doesn't matter to me. They're both, however you look at them, whether it's one, one was written at one time and one at another, or whether it was all written at once, it's still, the, it's still God's Word to us today. Acts is a God-centered historical story. As one could say that Jesus is the main character of the Gospels, what's the main character in Acts? The Holy Spirit's the main character in Acts this new revelation of how God is going to work with us and work with the people who follow him and how things are going to unfold. It's a revelation that comes to us in Acts. So the main themes, as we said, is the Holy Spirit. As you look at at Acts, the sovereignty of God as he continues to work out his plan of salvation in the world. Uh, And and I, I want you to capture this. As we think about the sovereignty of God, It was God's will to take the children of Israel to the promised land. Did they get to the promised land? Eventually, not the original guys. God's big plan is going to happen. God's big plan is going to happen. But I have a choice whether to be in that big plan or to not be in that big plan. And a lot of those guys missed out on the promised land. Even though the sovereignty of God was saying, you're going to the promised land. Listen, Jesus is coming someday. God's big plan of his return is going to happen. Whether you go or not is between you and God. Whether you're ready or not is between you and God. God's will is for us to be ready. God's will that all men be saved. Are all men saved? No. No. 
But God's plan is he's going to move in our lives uh, so that we can discover the fullness of his will. And his big plan, his big picture is going to take place. So we have to be careful. Uh, I would just tell you, we've got to be careful when we write things up as God's will. Just got to be careful. Some people, all that happened. God's will, you know, God knows what he's doing. Yeah, but we don't. And sometimes, sometimes we mess things up because we live in this sinful, fallen world. So uh, here's, here's the thing I always ask people, want to ask people. I have somebody, and they'll, say some, they'll talk about some terrible thing, and they'll say, I'm, I'm so mad at God that he let that happen. And I, you know, I want to look at him and say, okay, so when you got drunk last Friday night, uh, should God have not let that happen? Should he have stopped that? You know, why did God, you know, let my husband walk out of me, let my wife walk out of me? What, what, what kind of relationship did you have? What kind of relationship with God did you have? What, what kind of things happened and all that? You know, so we want to we ask why to God about some things, but about our own actions, you know, we want to feel like, we just do whatever, we, we do things that we, that we shouldn't do. And we don't ask, why doesn't God stop me? Why didn't God stop me from eating that extra slice of pizza today at lunch? Yeah, devil made me do it. Why didn't he stop me? Why didn't I, why, 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 is, why wasn't he sovereign over my life in that moment? He's given me a choice. I can choose some things. I can choose some things. So be careful with that. So we see in Acts is the birth, the explosive growth of the church. Uh, we see the role of prayer and the role of prayer in our life and the necessity of prayer in our life. We see the startling reality that suffering that came along with following Christ and being his witness. And that continues today. And we see the story that the Gentiles, that salvation is open to the entire world, not just the Jews. We don't get how big a deal that this is. We generally miss this because it's all of our life, we just kind of understand, oh, salvation has opened us. The Jewish people didn't see it that way. This would, I'm going to use an illustration that literally comes, uh, that they talk about in the Bible when they talk about Gentiles. Okay? It would be like me getting up here today and saying, hey, I have just got this great revelation. Dogs can be saved. We need to preach the gospel to dogs. We need to call them to salvation because dogs, God has revealed to me. I had this dream and God told me not to call dogs unclean. He told me not to call them animals anymore. They're really, you know, they're, they're real, they're, they're, those dogs can get saved. I'm telling you, that's how startling this was to the Gentiles. So even, even the Gentiles, even they can get, even those dogs can get saved. Wow. Now we, we don't wrestle with that much. Because that's what we've known all of our life. But for the Jewish people, this was, a, this was a big deal. This was huge revelation that, that this, this kind of thing could happen. We also get this call 
of witnessing, people communicating what they saw regarding the resurrection of Christ. And I want to tell you, our witness is powerful. And as you grow in faith, as you read the Word, your witness will become more and more powerful. The Word of God does a work in us. The Word of God is living and active in us. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 4. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God, as we know it, as we read it, and this is why it's important to become a self-feeder. The more I know it, the more I read it, the more active the Holy Spirit can bring about the truth in my life and cut down into my spirit and form me into the image of Christ. So we want... We want to read the Word. We want to be cautious because this world is trying to form us into its image. And so we live in this day where the world's trying to take our children and form them into the image of the world. Trying to take us and form us into the image of the world. Which will lead us to a Christless eternity. And we've got to be diligent about seeking the Word and knowing the Word and letting the living Holy Spirit move in us to protect us and to keep us from being world-built to be Word-built and to keep our children from being world-built and to be Word-built. Moms and dads in this room, I'm going to tell you, grandmas and grandpas, who you let influence your children is a big deal. Who you let into their life is a big deal because they're going to influence your children. You're going to impact your children. The music you let them listen to, the things you let them watch. Okay, let's, I could stop there for a while, but I won't. Now, although it's historical, it's most faithful to interpret Acts and the Gospels in both a descriptive and a prescriptive approach. Many times we are just being told the story with no implication that we should do the same thing. It's just descriptive of what happened. And I've got to separate that. So, you say, like, like what? In the New Testament, the beginning of the church, they pooled all their money. It's a description of what happened. You don't see that anyplace else throughout the New Testament. And what happens is people get saved. It happened in Jerusalem, as my dad used to say, and they ended up in poverty. They, they cast lots at one point to, you know, to pick a new uh, apostle. We don't get, I, I, I promise, I've been in hundreds of board meetings. There's board members in here, guys that are on the deacon board, and guy, guys and gals that are on, uh, guys that are uh, elders, and guys that serve on the stewardship team. We have never once said, this, said, well, why don't we just cast lots and figure out what we're supposed to do? That's a biblical process. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. As you read through the Bible, you've got to realize God tells us the story. And just because he tells us the story doesn't mean we're supposed to do that. As we've talked in the past, we're, nowhere does the Bible tell us we're supposed to spit in the ground, make mud, and put in somebody's eye for them to get healed. Jesus did that, but he never described that as a way to do it for everybody. It was a descriptive thing that took place in a moment. So when you're reading, if you understand, this is descriptive, 
But what is prescriptive? What are we learning in this that is for our life? What do we learn in the story that we apply to biblical principle and to truth? And it's not necessarily the description, it's the prescription, what's inside. Are you getting this? Am I, am I being clear? You want to find out what this thing is that's really prescriptive. So you look in the, Holy, in, in the, in the New Testament or, or in, in Acts, prescriptive. They are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. Now, does that continue in the rest of the New Testament? In the rest of the New Testament, they're talking about people being filled with the Holy Spirit all the time. It continues. Gifts are explained. Prayer language is explained. You know, how to balance it in the church is explained. All kinds of things begin to come out of that because it is a prescription for us of what God wants to do inside of our lives. So one of the ways to know the difference between the descriptive and the prescriptive is to see what is supported in the rest of biblical writing and experience. Do we see the apostle Paul and Peter, for instance, uh, spitting in the ground and rubbing dirt in people's eyes to pray for them to be healed. No, we don't see that. We don't, we don't, we don't have that in the rest of Scripture. We, we, we heard a description of how Jesus did it. We see this description of casting lots. We don't find that in the rest of Scripture. There's nothing in this. Uh, this listen, when you, there's no description. Okay, uh, you know, uh, Timothy, as you go out and you know, establish elders, oh, and get a good a good set of, of, of lots together. Get a good set of things that they can cast to figure out answers for things. Make sure the church has, you know, they've got, down at the store, they got some really nice ones. Doesn't say, you know, there's, no, there's nothing about that in the rest of the New Testament. So you, you just kind of understand, oh, okay, he's describing what happened. He's not prescribing a way uh, for us to do that. We don't see that in any of the other books, even Times and Acts. Uh, the supporting these things. So you, you understand, as you read through the Gospels, you read through Acts, there's descriptive things going on, there's prescriptive things that we're learning inside of these things. Let me move on. Uh, the apostles, or the epistles, I'm sorry, the epistles. Uh, the letters that we have here, and, and you've got these things written on these, on these notes, uh, these, were, these letters were a way to pastor from a distance. They were viewed as an authoritative substitute for the actual presence of the author. He was writing direction to them that God has protected and kept for us so that we have an authority of the Word of God to give us direction and to, and to speak into us. Some are more formal letters like the Romans and the Ephesians and the Hebrews, James and 1 Peter. Some are less formal and more personal like uh, Philemon and 2 and 3 John. The letters are, here's a real key thing to understand. The letters are all situational, meaning that they were written to a specific church or group of churches for dealing with specific issues, doctrinal issues, 
lifestyle issues. Uh, 1 Corinthians is a really a great example of that as he's dealing with issues in the church and things that are going on inside the church. So as I read that and I understand that, I come back to this issue of looking at the New Testament and realizing it's balance, balance, balance. Taking the Scripture looking at what is being said in all of the rest of Scripture and not just cherry-picking things. So, let, let me give you one. In one of the books of the, the New Testament, it talks about women speaking and women teaching and women doing certain things. And it tells oh, they can't they can't do that. He's dealing with a specific problem in that specific church. That doesn't get repeated in other, other places. In fact, we find women in other places who are leaders. We find women in other places who are prophetesses and doing things under the leading of the Holy Spirit. We find women doing many, many other things in the rest of Scripture. And yet, you know, you get around some people, and they're going to absolutely forbid uh, women to hold any kind of leadership role because of this one passage where he is dealing with a specific issue inside of that specific church. So this is why I say balance. Does the intent of this play out in the rest of Scripture? Listen, there are things that play out in all of Salvation by faith in Jesus plays out in all of it. Plays out every place. The Lord's coming again plays out in Scripture, throughout Scripture again and again and again that the second coming of the Lord is going to happen someday. The Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit plays out again and again and again throughout the New Testament. So I'm looking for these things to say, okay, what is the rest of the Bible saying to me about this thing? Because he is writing, dealing with specific problems and specific issues inside of the church, and I want to I recognize what those are and learn from them and walk through them. All letters were written to a Christian audience, so this should impact how we translate these passages, especially in the epistles to, to non-Christians. Just be aware of that. Uh, regarding uh, interpretation, it's very beneficial to think in paragraphs instead of verses. Letters use a lot of content to expound doctrinal truth. So we want to we walk through this thing and understand the whole passage. So let me give you an, an illustration. 1 Corinthians 13. Understand the whole passage. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. We use that for a lot of things. It's usable for a lot of things. It's usable for a lot of things. But when Paul wrote it, he wrote it as a letter. It didn't have chapters. It didn't have verses. Sometimes you've got to take the chapters and verses out to get the flow of what's being said. So what's happening? Paul is talking to the church in 1 Corinthians 12 and in 1 Corinthians 14 He's talking to the church about order in the church. He's talking about giftings. He's talking about 
how the church is supposed to treat each other and who has what gifts and what things are for. Well, you should be prophesying to every. Uh, we want everybody to prophesy. We want you all to, to pray in the Spirit. We want you all to do this, and this is how it happened. Now, in the church, this is the way it's supposed to happen. Now, in the middle of all of this stuff, he's talking about 1 Corinthians 12 and giftings and all this stuff. There's 1 Corinthians 13. So you've got to ask yourself, uh, did he just kind of get sidetracked for a few minutes? He's talking about the church and he's talking about all these gifts and all this stuff. And did he just kind of, you know, wig out for a minute? Oh, I think I'll talk about love for a little while. Or do you think that maybe the main emphasis of this love was how we, was this balance and this fullness of how the church is supposed to treat each other? how the gifts are supposed to be used, how these things are supposed to function. When he begins to walk through that in 1 Corinthians, he says, listen, you know, if you have the tongues of men and of angels, but you have not love, you gain nothing. He's talking about what's going on in the church. He said, if you guys do all this stuff in the church, if you speak in the tongues of men and angels, and you don't have love, you don't love each other and treat each other with love, Oh, it's just a mess. You become a, this clanging symbol. You become this annoyance because it's got a, all these gifts, all this stuff has to function in love for each other. And so when you, when you pull out the chapters and verses and read it as a letter, you begin to see the whole thing. So what I say to that is this. Be careful when you pull out one verse and try to hang your life on it. Now, there are key verses. There are key verses that give us revelation. John 3.16 is a great key verse. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. All the rest of Scripture supports that verse. That verse reveals so much. But be careful when you do that. Make sure it is a key verse. Maybe sure it's not just something you're pulling out of a story that you understand the whole uh, narrative of what's going on. And that's when we come back to what does the rest of the Bible say about the issue? What does the rest of the Bible say about the issue? Uh, there's other things we could talk about. I'm going to leave that alone. Uh, Revelation. Revelation, uh, Revelation itself suggests that something that was once hidden is now revealed and on display. Think about this issue of Revelation. It was covered up, it was hidden. When, <laughs> when Peter says, when Jesus says to him, who do you say that I am? And he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, that was not revealed to you by man, that was revealed to you by God. This is why I just refuse to argue with people about stuff. I just tell them, this is what we believe, and if they want to argue, I just don't want to, I'm not going to argue with somebody about tithing. I'm going to tell you what I believe the Bible says. I'm going to tell you what I believe, what, what I believe is good for you. But I understand there's got to come a point of revelation for you for that to come, come, come into the truth. 
And we hope that through preaching it does. Salvation. Many of you in this room, the day you got saved, you didn't know that morning you were going to get saved that day. Didn't know. You're going about your life and somebody came into your life, invited you to church or shared a story with you or you picked up something and you read it and all of a sudden the revelation of who Christ was became real to you in that moment and your life took a 180 at that moment. It was revelation. Nobody could have argued you into that. It was a revelation of God. This is why we pray for lost people. We pray that God will move on them in revelation power. He'll reveal himself to them. It's why when you open the Bible, we pray, God, show me what I need to learn in here. Teach me. Reveal things to me. It's why you should pray for the preacher every Sunday. God, whoever's delivering the word this Sunday, let revelation come into people's lives while the word's being taught. Revelation. So you have this revelation, this, this aspect of the Holy Spirit, of the Jesus Lord. The enemy blinds eyes. God opens them. And as we read the Bible, he opens our eyes. So, when you look at the book of Revelation, he is revealing so much of what's going to happen. How he works with the church in the early days, how he sees us, what we should be careful about, and we should read those first three or four chapters and really be careful with them and look and see what we can learn from them. And then he begins to talk about end times. Now, this is really interesting as as you read this because... (laughs) He's writing it almost like you'd tell a story of a dream. And this is happening, and then this happened, and then then this happened, which really relates back to this over here, and then this happened, which really doesn't relate to anything that I can think of. I mean, he's telling the story of this revelation, and there's points in this story where he's talking about very, very end times. And then he goes back to other things that are going on, And then he comes to other places that relate back to that story and ties in things that are going to happen at that time. So when you're reading through Revelation, you realize God is revealing so much, he's not revealing everything. He's given us enough that we can know he's coming again and it's going to be pretty bad if if you're sticking around here. And you, you, you don't want to be sticking around here, you know, after he, he comes for the church. You want to be with him. And he reveals some things of how all that's going to unfold. And so I would just tell you, anytime somebody gets too dogmatic that they have discovered what 2,000 years of theologians have not figured out, they've got it figured out. That should just be a caution sign right there. Whenever I hear somebody say, well, I, I dug into the Greek, and the way that the King James Version is interpreted is all wet. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, so all these theologians that helped translate into, into the King James Version, and, you know, four or five hundred years of theologians after them didn't figure it out, and you, with your two years of Greek in college, you figured it out. You've got this new insight. Wow, you are, wow. Uh, That's really impressive. Just be careful with that. Just be careful uh, to really look and say, okay, what does the rest of the Bible say? What's God really revealing to us? Here's what, you know what I need to know about end times? 
You want to really get this? If you want to dig into it and have fun with it, go for it. But here, here's the deal. What you really need to know about end times is you need to be ready for Jesus to come at any moment. That's what you really need to know. Now, if you want to scare people half to death with it, that's fine. Beginning, fear, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, if you want to scare yourself, fear of, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So look at it, and I'll tell you what. When I was a kid and I'd look at Revelation, it would keep me on the straight and narrow. Because I was pretty sure that all I had to do was sin one time, and God would say, he did it, blow the trumpet. <laughs> I thought I controlled when, G, when God was going to say, that's it. He, stepped, he, he, he got drunk, blow the trumpet. You know, I, I, wouldn't be, I, didn't, I, I was pretty sure I couldn't get home if I got drunk before the trumpet would be blown. I, just, I, was not, I wasn't doing that. Fear of God. So as you read through Revelation, realize God is unfolding some things. And we kind of look and say, God, what are you trying to show me through this? What are you trying to reveal to me through this? What do I really need to know? And, and don't get too, here's the, the deal for me. It has to come down to how we live our life and how we see God. We, in, in Revelation, you see the greatness of God. In Revelation, you can see the power of God. In Revelation, you can see the awesomeness of God. In Revelation, you can see in times of, of hurting and sorrow that God is, he has a big plan that is going to unfold. In times of persecution, you can see God is going to reward. You can see so many great lessons in the book of Revelation. Oh, and at the end times, this is what's going to happen, and this is what's going to take place. You can, you can get some pictures of, boy, we're going to, he's going to wipe away every tear at some point in time, and, and we're going to be in heaven with him. You see some great, there's some great lessons in Revelation if you don't get bogged down trying to interpret things that, guys have been arguing about for 2,000 years. You know, they've been struggling with for 2,000. Look at the great lessons in there. Capture them. Understand them. And as God wants to reveal them to the world, he will. Are you getting this? So, I, I say all of this to say this. Familiarize yourself with the New Testament. You want to be a great, you want to be a, a great follower of Christ. You want to be filled with faith. You want to walk in the strength of God. You want to know your purpose in life. You want to know the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. You want to know the power we can have in God as we walk upon this earth. We cannot let the world feed our minds more than we let the Word of God feed our minds. We've got to let the Word of God set the anchor for our life. And the New Testament will give you all of that if you'll seek it out. So, just get started. Three chapters, four chapters a day. Just begin to familiarize yourself with it. Go to classes on that as we offer them in the months to come. Go to classes on the different books, and we'll, we'll talk about it. For the next six weeks, we're going to look at, what, six, eight weeks? Is it eight weeks we're going to look at? Seven. It was right in between those two. The next seven weeks, we're, we're taking one book, from, from you know, an Old Testament book. I think Ryan's going to do Deuteronomy next week. And we're just going to kind of apply the principles of what we've talked to what we've talked about over the last weeks, to those different books. So we're just going to kind of span through the, the New and Old Testament, take a book at a time, and just kind of help. Okay, this is how you look at this book, and this will help you as you read through the Bible to say, okay, how do I look at this book? How do I capture this book and the intent of it 
so that I can get the most out of it I possibly can. That sound good? All right, let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I'm so grateful for your word. And, and I pray that, Father, in this place, that the speakers that come and stand here, in our classrooms, in our small groups, that we would always be faithful to your word. That we would be wise about how we read your word and study your word. I pray you'd help us in this room to mature in this. And when we get a scripture that would maybe lead us down a wrong path because we haven't looked at the full context and we haven't looked at the full scripture, that we would not be fooled by that. We would look and see what you're trying to teach us. We would capture it but we wouldn't be misled by other things. But we see the full, the full passage of your scripture and what you're saying to us. So Lord, let your word be taught here. And Father, if we say things that are not from you, let them be quickly forgotten. But Lord, when we say things that are from you, let that truth begin to get embedded inside of us. Let it, let it begin to, to just connect the dots for us and and help us and let us see you and see your son and all that Jesus meant for us. We're so grateful for books that are, you know, in some ways can be really confusing like Revelation, but it also reveals the greatness of who you are and the awesomeness of your throne room and the power of your, of your presence and the power of your word. <coughs> Lord, and the way you deal with sin, the way you deal with righteousness, it's all revealed in this as we just look at it in a, in, in a very... A simple way of what are you saying to us about who you are and who we are. Help us to capture these things and, and walk in them and not walk in pride, but walk in peace before you. So, Lord, I pray for all the people here tonight that their, their understanding of the Old Testament, their understanding of the New Testament, how to read it, will just flourish because of these lessons we've had and, and what we have coming up for the next few weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go in the name of the Lord today.